Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiya, Bab. Hello there. How are you? I am well. <laughs> wow, you're a cheerleader now. Give me a W. Give me an E. Give me an L. Give me an L. What does it spell? Well. Yeah, that's how we are. Oh, well. Well, yeah. well good. I, I've completely lost the track of everything now. So this is the part where you say, welcome to Bearback, the podcast where we navigate the... Oh, I can't remember. What is it? Well, we navigate our lives together as a bear couple. Yeah, yeah, and we explore the quirks of our respective cultures. That's my bit. That's the one that I know. And then I say, I'm Ben, and I'm British, and you say... Oh, I've forgotten about that one. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, see? We need, like, a drum noise here, like, trun dun ch. I don't mic. think we've got the budget for sound effects this series mm. anymore. We spent it all a few weeks okay. back. There it goes. Dun dun ch. And I'm Benja, and I'm Argentinian. Are you? Congratulations. And this week, we are looking back at some of our finest moments under the spotlight on the stage. We've both delved into the world of acting in our pasts, and it's time we explored it together. Yeah, and a few weeks back, we interviewed Will Jackson, amazing actor, producer, writer, properly, what, quadruple thread, triple thread, every, everything thread <laughs> yeah. in the acting world. Rising star. Rising star. And really, it reminded us that we both had delved into a little bit of acting in the past. And to be honest, what gay kid hasn't? <laughs> it's like a cliche, isn't it? It's like all gay kids have delved somehow in some sort of creative trope, don't they? Gays, born to perform. Exactly. We love a show. And basically, we said, well, why don't we do an episode where we go a little bit through our IMDb pages? <laughs> Have you got an IMDb page? No. Do you? Um, well, if, if I have, I've not set it up. Somebody else has done it on my behalf. Yeah. So basically, it's just us talking about our acting careers. And again, I using air quotes when I say careers. Well, I actually did some professional work. I actually got paid. But we'll find out a little bit more about that in a wee while, as uh, friends in Scotland would say. This week, though, I've got something to tell you about that I actually genuinely haven't told you in RL. That's real life, kids. And, yeah, I just thought about it before because I tried to block it out of my mind. What and happened? It came to me. So I was at work. I popped out for a sandwich at lunchtime. Probably mm-hmm. a chicken and bacon. I can't remember. <laughs> Does it matter? I don't know. I think the listeners would like a little bit of context. Well, the thing is, a little bit of context is nice. If you go for something that is not just a regular chicken and bacon. Well, I don't know. I think now we're going back into the office more. It's quite exciting because you've got all these choices of where you want to eat on a lunchtime. Anyway. And you I, go for chicken and bacon. Yeah, but you can't have, you know, halloumi wrap every day. You know, sometimes you've got to bring it down to... And actually, I love chicken and I love bacon. So, for me... And I think it was a poppy seed baguette as well. So, you know, I'm sorted. Anyway, I had my lunch. I ate in and I was walking back to the office... And somebody in the street who, how can I put this politely, I think they'd had quite a bit to drink and perhaps they didn't have a fixed abode. Okay. 
But still, there's no excuse for them heckling me as they walk past. What did they say? (laughs) He said, he's not a gnome, he's just fat. Is that supposed to be a reference to something? I don't know. And that's why I was hoping you might shine a light. Like, literally, he said to me, he's not a gnome, he's fat. So, a gnome... The thing is, gnomes are, like, really short, really tiny. And fat is a reference to being big, so... But gnomes, I don't get it. gnomes are kind of like, if a gnome was full size, it would be quite a fat person. Would it? I don't know. Well, they're quite portly, aren't they? I don't know. I've never met a gnome. Well, you have, because you've been to Gnome World. I've been to Gnome World. The which... largest collection of garden gnomes in the world, in Cornwall. Yeah, again, I need to push back when you want to take me places. But they're all not real <laughs> best, gnomes. The best thing about when we went to Gnome World is... When you go into Gnome World, you have to wear a gnome hat. You don't have to. Yes, we, you did. We we were offered and we accepted. It's not it's not mandatory, Ben. It was a little bit creepy though, as Gnome World. Like you're basically in a forest with all these tiny people looking at you. I imagine that's how like a teacher feels. Maybe, but again, it, I but don't. I mean, think... the, the creativity was incredible. They had a, a gnome train station, a gnome airport. In fact, I think they had a gnome spaceport, didn't they? I don't know. I think I blocked most of that <laughs> place from my memory, perhaps. So I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, the, the crux of the matter is, I was heckled in the street, and somebody called me fat. So yeah, that's not nice. It's not nice. It's not nice. I just wanted a bit of sympathy, really. Okay, um, here's some sympathy. You haven't done anything, you've just said, here's some sympathy. Oh, isn't that sympathy? Uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean... I mean, if that's all you're going to give me, I'm going to take it and we'll move on. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I mean, people have called you fat before, my grandmother did. Oh my gosh, yes. And it was probably one of the first things she said to you when she she met you. I can't believe that, yeah. So your 93-year-old grandma... Yes. So she would have been 91 at yes. the time we met her. And I'd at had the, some... At the time you met her, I met her all my life. Well... You know, I'm no <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> when I met her for the first time. Good point. Touche. And I'd had some really nice photos done at work where I was in a suit I was looking managerial I looked the boss I looked like I was in a candidate on The Apprentice you know ready to get that 250,000 pounds from Sir Alan Sugar and I was really proud of these photos and we went out to Argentina a few months later and um, I was really excited and I showed them because obviously my Spanish isn't great and even well no my Spanish is amazing but, oh yeah you're fluent you're fluent <laughs> but realistically my Spanish is not the best so I was like well it's going to be a nice way for me to communicate I can show her something visual and she can look at it and it's me you know she can clearly see that I'm a professional and you know hopefully think that I'm doing well at my job and all that kind of stuff so I showed her those pictures bear in mind we hadn't spoken like ever ever and the first thing she said to me when she looked at these pictures was... Well, she said it to me because she said it in Spanish. Yeah, but what did she say? Yeah, and basically she just said, looked at you, looked at the photo and said to me, Oh, you've put on some weight since then, haven't you? Literally taken yeah. two months before. Yeah. So. I mean, she's in her 90s. She's earned the right to say whatever she wants. She doesn't care anymore. <laughs> oh, I'm, don't get me wrong. As soon as she said that, I was like, I absolutely love this woman. Like, it was incredible. I loved it, but... Um, Hashtag granny's no filter. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's a slight difference from what your 
grandma said to, you know, being heckled in the street. But here we are. Anyway, moving on. Your week. You've been a bit granny-fied this week, actually. I've been old this week, haven't I? Mm-hmm. So what have I done this week? Wait, I, let's see the granny moment. I just forgot what, what I've done this week. Yeah. My God, I need to get checked, don't yeah, I? Yeah, you're having a senior moment there, Bab. You made bread pudding this week, and I was like, sorry, how old are you? I made bread pudding, but it's all because you wanted your sandwich de amiga. Mm-hmm. You wanted your sandwich de amiga, so I made you sandwich de amiga, and that entails removing the edges of the loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. So we had basically all the crusts from a loaf of bread. So I made a bread pudding with it. I think you liked it. I did like it, but it was kind of like, well, we could have just taken it down to the park and fed the ducks. But no, you had to make granified bread pudding. Well, I think you enjoyed it, particularly with some dulce de leche. I did enjoy it with some dulce. What I was really pleased about, I think more than anything, was that you didn't put raisins in it or any dried fruit because you know that they make me gag. Yeah, I know. And obviously, I feel like the bread pudding that you made, it would have been enhanced by some kind of dried fruit had I been a dried fruit lover. Yeah. You not keen on chocolate and things, so I knew you wouldn't put chocolate chips inside. So having that dulce de leche on the side was a real winner. It was a real treat on top of a treat. But again, it is something that your grandma would make. Yeah. I mean, what are we going to be having tonight? Rice pudding? Uh, to be fair, I haven't made rice pudding in a while, but I could do. Whip up a bit of semolina. <laughs> what? Semolina in rice pudding? How, why would you put semolina in rice pudding? Well, no, I'm saying separately. Oh. Do rice pudding, then semolina pudding. Yeah, just leave the cooking to me, Bab. Making a bit of jelly. Mm, leave the cooking you to me. You can have a glass of baby sham, Bab. <laughs> baby sham? What's, what's even that? <laughs> it's like a pear cider that nanas drink. Yeah. And then at Christmas they have a snowball, you know, with an eggnog. Okay, you, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well... That's probably because your brain is failing you. No, that's because I come from a completely different culture, culture no. different country, and, and we don't do those things that you're no, talking about. No, I think about. you're just having a senior moment, Bob. No, I'm not having a senior moment. And the reason why I know is because I, I am now doing senior things. Now, because I've lived in the UK for almost eight years now. It's going to be eight years in a wow, couple of months. Wow, two more years and you get a medal. I've already got my citizenship, so... Oh. Sorry for breathing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, can you translate a, um, into a podcast, a finger snap, you know, like a... I don't know what you're doing right now. Okay, maybe it's just a senior moment. You just you just, you just, just literally put your hand in the air and clicked your fingers as if, like, a waiter was going to appear and give you some, like, sparkling water. Um, it must be the senior moment. But anyway. <laughs> Eight years here. I'm living with you. Thank you. You are fluent in Spanish. I am. So what happened? What is happening is that I feel like I'm losing my Spanish. I struggle to find words in Spanish. I struggle to. Oh, and this is my fault. No, it's not your fault. Oh, good. Who said it was your fault? Why you like I'm living with you and blah, blah, blah. and then you're like I'm losing my Spanish. I'm like don't don't put this on me. I'm not putting it on you, but it's not like we speak Spanish with each other, do we? So I'm not really practicing on a day-to-day basis, am I? Como esta? <laughs> oh, you're doing formal. Am I not your boyfriend now? Como estas? Okay, yeah, better. <laughs> Hashtag fluent. So basically what I did to practice is I downloaded a crossword puzzle app in Spanish. A crossword? You mean crossword? Crossword. You said crossword. 
like cross word, like a really posh person. No, oh. you said cross word. Good. Now I can't talk English either. I don't know. You can talk English. It just sounded like the Queen would say, uh, "Can I play the cross word?" Okay, and no, and that should have been speak English, not talk English. But okay, I let that one go. Yeah, exactly. And then you repeated it. So yeah, so now I'm doing crossword puzzles in Spanish, so I can get back a little bit of that vocabulary that I used to have that I feel I've lost. Which again is very senior citizen activity, isn't it? It is. So what next? I mean, am I to order a Zimmer frame? Mm, no, but I might start wearing like my trousers like right underneath my boobs. Good style plan. And also, there's that thing, isn't there, where I don't know what age it happens, but it will come to us at some point where it's just kind of like we're gonna put a shirt and tie on. We just decide one day I'm gonna wear a shirt and tie. Even though I'm just sat at home. It's probably the same, about the same time where you start wearing adult nappies. Well. <laughs> you need the tie just to use it if you run out of toilet paper. Oh. You need to have it as a backup. Okay. So you're going you're to put a nappy on me, are you? On you? Why on you? <laughs> I'm the one who's having a senior citizen moment. Well, I'm just saying when the time comes for me as well. Oh, yeah. You know I'm going to leave you in that home and I'm going to go and live in Ibiza. It's so cruel. It's so cruel. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna visit you. <laughs> when? And try say yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to hire a really, really hot nurse to take care of you. You're so mean. You're so mean. I can't believe we're having this conversation again. What? The thing is, by then the dementia will have kicked in, so you won't know if I'm visiting you or not. It's good to know that I'm going to be looked after in my old age. You will be. It's just that it's not necessarily me that's going to do it. So in English we say treading the boards. Do you have an equivalent phrase in Spanish for somebody who acts? Yeah, someone who acts. No, you must have like a, a fun play on words. Mm, I don't know. Don't in, think so. Do you say like be in the limelight? Mm, no, not really. Do you know where it's called in the limelight? No. Because the light used to be come from quicklime in the Roman times. What's quicklime? Isn't it like a byproduct of making concrete? Don't know. Oh. Okay, well that was a rubbish start to the episode. <laughs> all this to I mean... say <laughs> all this to say we're going to be talking now about our pasts and our thespian pasts when we delved into acting. So I guess for me I, as a youngster I wanted to be famous. That was my modus operandi. I wanted to be a famous performer mm-hmm. on TV, on the screen, you know, on the stage, whatever. And it's really interesting. And I think, you know, as you get older, you're like, well, actually, you know, this is pretty hard. <laughs> it's pretty tough. And then you just kind of think, well, actually, I just want to be happy. And, you know, I just need money to pay a mortgage type thing. But I guess that's where it started from for me. I performed... I came out of the womb and I performed. I used to do magic shows for the family, little performances. My dad was in a club at work where they basically shared a camcorder and my brother and I would make films. We'd, you know, do pastiches of... We did Titanic and we did Jurassic Park and all those kind of things. We did the French film Taxi as well. 
and we'd kind of perform that way. But I suppose my big break into acting was with the Tadcaster Operatic Drama Society when I starred in Oliver, the musical. Oh, wow. And I had one line. Okay. Do you want to know what the line was? What, what, what was the line? So somebody came in with some sausages okay. for everybody. Because I was one of the boys, you know, one of Fagin's boys, yeah. you know, who then taken Oliver through, what's his name? The um, Artful Dodger. I've never seen it already. So. Oh, you've never seen Oliver? Nah. Oh, well, homework tonight, Bab. So they, they're street urchins in, in London. Mm-hmm. You know the story, Oliver Twist? It's the Charles Dickens story. And they looked looked after by this, this gang leader called Fagin. And they're all pickpockets and they pickpocket for him and, you know, they share the, the spoils. And... These sausages come in, and I went, and it's set in London. That's important for the accent that I gave. Okay. And I said, they're all stale. Was that your line? And that was my line. I would not have understood it. So it's, they're all stale, because the, the sausages have gone off. Okay. They're all stale. Okay. That was my big line, my big moment. How old were you again? Uh, I'd have been about, gosh, now you're testing me, about 11. Okay. And the thing is, things to say about that age is I had a really good voice when I was young. You have a really good voice now. No, like a singing voice. Okay, yeah, then (laughs) you had a really good voice then. (laughs) I was Jesus Christ in Jerusalem Joy in the school production. Wow. Yeah, I've played the big man. Mm. I also played the Pharaoh in Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which I don't think you've seen it, but... Basically, the pharaoh is a pastiche of Elvis, so he looks and dresses like Elvis Presley. Okay. And he sings a song about the dream that he had about, I was walking along the banks of the river and seven fat cows came about of the Nile. So it goes on like that. Are you trying to do Elvis there? Well, I haven't warmed up properly. I haven't, you know, my vocal cords are resting at the moment. I was just giving you a flavour. A little bit of a, little bit of a flavour there. Sure. So that was at school. We did loads of productions at school. Because I went to a Church of England school, they always had biblical mm-hmm. slant. Although we did do Yanomamo one year, which was all about the plight of tribes in the Amazon. Yanomamo, meyu no tukunamura. Yanomamo, yanomami, tika masala. I can't remember the last bit. There's some of the tribes. I'm from the Amazons. You go to Tikka Masala. That's that's your go-to. But it was something like Tikka Masai. I, I can't remember. But oh, yeah. God. Mm. See, for me, it was a little bit different. First of all, motivation, different. You wanted to be famous. I wanted money. <laughs> I well, wanted yeah, to be I mean, rich. with fame comes money. No, but I didn't care about the fame. I wanted money. I wanted to be rich. So that was my motivation. And by now, if you have heard to our podcast before, you know that my acting career will not have been in musical theatre. Oh, definitely. So you're not going to hear me sort of talking about, oh, yes, we did this musical. No. Now, my first experience on stage was actually dancing. (laughs) Oh, my God. I can totally imagine you in, like, a little tutu and, like, some ballet shoes. Why a tutu and ballet shoes? I don't know, but that's what I'm imagining right now. Mm, Definitely not. Was it modern dance? Was it expressionism? It was. Yes! I love this. No, 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 no. It was Irish chick. No, with the proper shoes, the proper tap shoes. The thing, you know, where you champ and you oh go God, around. I love that. I think that's really sexy. Why don't you do it now? Because I 
don't remember it. I was like 10. So basically what happens in Rosario, you have an event, a yearly event, a cursed event, by the way, which is called La Fiesta de las Colectividades. And basically what it is, is that they get together in like a massive park and you know where the flag memorial is, all of that park over there, basically they put tents up and the communities from each country around the world that live in Rosario have their own stand. Is so, there a UK one? Yeah, of course there is. I think there's an England one. Probably just an urn of tea and, and some rich tea biscuits. Well, so it changed throughout times. It used to be very much a cultural thing. So you went into the tent and you had all of this information about geography and the country itself, history and so on. And there would be a corner where you could like taste something oh, uh, like from this. it. But then it went the other way around. It became basically just like a massive food festival. So now you go into the tents and you have like just a little banner that tells you something about the country. And then it's all about food and beer. Great. And of course you have food from all over the world. All of these communities create um, what serve their dishes. And they have a main stage. On that main stage, they each community showcases. Normally it's a dance. Can I just stop you right there? Famously, you are not Irish. No. <laughs> so, I can see where this is going. You performed on the stage doing an Irish jig. Yes. <laughs> which is just the best thing I've ever heard. I can't believe I did not know this before. Oh, today. God. And wait until you hear about the second performance. So, <laughs> so why is Ben Herpossel, famously Argentinian of, let's say... Spanish and Italian descent performing an Irish jig as part of the Irish community performance. Because I I went to an Irish school. Oh, okay. All right, okay. The dance was put together and we were actually in like school uniforms and it just, it it, it was the school uniform. It just had like a a green sash. (laughs) And we did the dance. And did you think you were Michael Flatley? No, I didn't know what Michael Flatley, who Michael... Lord of the dance. Mm. Yeah, again, I love him ahead. But this festival is cursed. I, I, I mentioned that it's cursed. Yeah, it's actually cursed. So what happens is that they... And again, this might sound insensitive, but it's the story of how it goes. They have a gypsy curse. Because what happens is that the gypsy community wanted to have a stand of their own, but because they don't have land... They wouldn't allow them. So Romania has a stand, Poland has a stand, so the countries have a stand. But as a separate community, they wouldn't allow them to have the stand. So they cursed the festival. And now, on the first day of the festival, without any exception, it pours down raining. I mean, if I was organising that festival, I'd be like, well, you can have a stand. I don't want to get a curse. Well, I mean, the curse is already I bet they've got a stand now as well. No, they? they don't. Really? No. They don't. It's really controversial because it's about land. So, for example, there's always these, oh, should Palestine have a a stand or not? And I think that at some points they did, and some points they didn't. And the whole thing is, it becomes a whole political thing. (laughs) I'm strapping myself in. I can see (laughs) what you're about to do. Well, I can hear what you're about to do as well. What? Your second performance. (laughs) My second performance. So, can I just say, the jig, so was it just like you were tapping your feet to some Irish music? Um, it was like a whole routine mm. of dance, 
but it was like uh, there was a moment like you were facing and uh, you were facing the public but then you kind of went to right and facing your partner so one of the girls and mm. so it was a whole routine you know i work with an ex-irish dance champion maybe you two could team up yeah no for a legacy performance mm, nope <laughs> okay second performance so that kind of was my introduction to it and to the stage and basically what happened from there is that I started going to this kind of like class, this drama class that was organized. So the, one of the teachers was two teachers and one of the teachers was the mum of a kid that was in my class. So they used to do it in the school. So the following year, because they wanted to be creative instead of wanting to just put a dance and most people will put a dance in that main stage, a regional or a a local dance they decided to go a different way and they wanted to present a little bit of a mini play because of course you don't have a lot of time it's quite short slots so basically they represented a an irish pub <laughs> how old were you i would have been 11 on that one so obviously you were well versed in well, but what that... pub life was like <laughs> oh well, well wait 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 so a lot of the teachers and the parents and so on um, sort of played the patrons of the pub, you know, all drinking beer, all pissed drunk. And the whole point of the story is that you cannot see leprechauns and leprechauns are mischievous. They are, yeah. So basically, myself and some of the other kids played gnomes with a green bonnet a green like trouser like a green a whole like green sword please tell me there is visual evidence of this i don't think there is but i'm, I'm afraid i don't think there is and our role <laughs> did was... you burn every copy and photograph <laughs> possibly and basically our role was to kind of like dance around the tables and do things that of course the people wouldn't see a leprechaun they would see just like a plate moving you know things like that <laughs> And we were just dancing table to table, being mischievous by making things float in the air and things like that. And that was your acting debut? Well, I mean, I want to say that the dancing one was my debut to the stage, but this one, the one that had like a character development. (laughs) And did you go for the Stanislavski method? Did you, you know, burrow away for several months before and, and try and work out what the, you know, the thought process was of the character? Or did you just turn up on stage and do a silly little dance? Pretty much. I knew what I had to move <laughs> and where to move it. And then the rest was a little bit... We actually properly uh, practiced. We actually properly rehearsed for it. And I bet the parents all had real booze in their... Uh... <laughs> Probably. But again, this is a massive event in, uh, in Rosario. It's absolutely massive. It's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that go there every night for a week... So there was literally thousands of people looking at that stage. (laughs) Biggest audience I've ever had. Really? Biggest audience you've ever had? You are talking about in a a single night, I don't want to say, but it's close to like 50,000 people go every night. It's massive. Watching you dance around as a leprechaun in an Irish Well, they're only in the festival that night, if you like, whether they're all watching at the main stage or not. I'm sure once they knew that you were headlining... They were straight down to the main stage. I was 11. They didn't know who the <laughs> hell I, I was. I didn't know who the hell anyone was. Talking about being at that age, my my musical career was cut short because my voice broke. And 
yeah, I mean, there was talk about me going for a scholarship at the Minster Song School in York and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, I hit puberty, as we know from previous episodes, quite early and my voice broke. So yeah, that was the musicality taken away from me. So I was a little bit of a later developer in that respect. So, and it served my theatrical purposes because when I was 12, I starred on a different play. <laughs> and again, you're probably going to laugh, but again, it's probably no photographic evidence of it. <laughs> so I don't even know who wrote it. I presume that it was one of the teachers that wrote it. But basically, because it was all like a group of uh, my age, about 12, we were all kids basically, but we prepared and presented a play that was something called, I can't remember, it was something about like bullcotton or telly, which one's better or, or, <laughs> or something like that. And I played Develin, so I was TV. Okay. So I had a multicolored tights. You had tights? Yeah, I had multicolored tights, you know, like 60s hippie yeah. multicolored tights. And a multicolored t-shirt. And I represented Telly. And then there was this girl who was like a fairy and represented books. The problem is, is that we didn't know that that girl suddenly had stage fright. Oh no. So I spent the whole play saying, uh, saying things like, Oh, and I feel that now you're going to say that this, this and this. So I was literally just saying her lines. So I, oh, so I could prompt myself to say my lines. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, you were like literally like the understudy stepping in at the last moment, but while also doing your own part as well. Exactly. I hope you got a standing ovation at the end. I can't remember. To be fair, that was one of those that basically just the parents will have been there. Yeah, but still it's a big deal. Well, yeah, I suppose. But I can't remember a lot of it. But I what I can what I can say is that I haven't seen any photographs. I'm sure someone has photographed they're a parent of someone that I'd never met. So I'm sure there's a photograph there, but you're not going to find it. I mean, there's a lot of evidence of my early productions, mainly because I did... Well, darling, I was semi-professional in my early teens because I did two pantomimes at York. I did Cinderella and Aladdin at York Theatre Royal, one of the most famous pantomimes in the North East. And I also did a professional production of Kestrel for a Knave, which is a really famous book. We all read it at school over here. And it's about a boy who basically befriends a Kestrel and teaches it how to fly. Okay. It's... And did you play the boy? No, 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 no. I was just in the background. I was in... Um... Well, like, dress as a tree. I'm being like no, a tree. No, 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 no. He's, he's at school. There's a famous film called Kez, and it's all set in the north of England. And this was the musical version of it. No, I was just one of the schoolmates at school and, you know, sort of was part of the chorus line, if you like. The bird was an opera singer. She was at the back of the stage, like you couldn't see her. Okay. She was doing the, the, the sounds the of singing. the singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but the boy, that's the thing. Who played the boy? Was he someone your age or was he like an adult oh, no, in boys' was, clothes? He was older. I think, I think he was like... 1920 so he was professional okay but yeah i did my first shower scene There's shower a, scene. yeah there was a scene in the in the shower in the changing room oh yeah so were I you dressed to, well you we were kind of like mid dress so it was kind of it was nothing you know nothing for the lads were you, you know showing I mean? your boobs i think maybe one night a nipple might have 
sort of popped out. Did you have a, a, a nip slip? <laughs> I think I had a nip slip. But that was intentional because there was probably... I'm trying to think how old I was at this point, whether I can talk about this as being something very oh, sexual. The thing, is, I'm not, I'm, I, the thing is, I'm not sure if I want to know how old you were because whenever you, you talk about things that you've done as a kid, you, you were always older than what you wish you'd be. Yeah, probably. So after that, you know, my singing career was put to bed, but my acting career, shall we say, flourished. And I did loads of drama at school and in college and also, you know, out and about with sort of amateur groups up in York. It's interesting you say that one of your teachers wrote a play because one of my teachers wrote a play that we did at school and it was all about the Rahilla, which was a ship that ran aground off the coast of Whitby in the First World War. And oh, all the lo- all of the fun topics. Yeah. Well, all of the local residents went out and helped the people get off the ship to, to rescue them. And this was kind of juxtaposed with people actually fighting in World War One. So you had this rescue operation to save people's lives, but then people were losing their lives in the First mm-hmm. War. And I played the captain of the ship. Oh, so you play the person responsible for the ship going ashore? Well, I think... I, I don't really know why it went ashore. I don't think it was my fault. I I mean, you were the captain. Maybe you shouldn't have known. I think there was a rogue wave or maybe a a slight gust of wind. But I was basically... They built this. It was incredible. Like Considering it was a school production, like it was a full-on musical. They built this bridge of this ship in the school and I stood looking out across the bow. Now, I need to go back a little bit and give a little bit of context to this because while all this was happening, I would have been about 16 Mm -hmm. at this point and it was just when Kylie Minogue made her massive comeback. She'd done spinning around. It was slightly pre can't get you out of my head. Mm -hmm. I got very involved in the Kylie.com forum okay like mega i got mega involved in it i was like one of the top posters but i had a pseudonym because i wanted to come out but i didn't want to come out as me because i hadn't come out in real life but i wanted to come out online yeah let me tell you bab everyone knew so i all right thanks so i had this pseudonym called sarah shaw (laughs) and basically sarah shaw who everyone knew was a man even though I was called Sarah Shaw, came out. And I basically was like the celebrity on the Kylie.com forum for ages because I'd come out and, you know, other people had come out. And obviously Kylie Minogue has got a very, you know... Strong gay fan base. Absolutely. But, you know, I came out and... But then because I was responding to everyone's posts and kind of making the post go on longer than longer than it was, I then got nominated in the Kylie.com forum awards for most annoying... <laughs> poster <laughs> so it was kind of a bit of a fall from grace but anyway all I'm, this to say <laughs> I, I can see that all this to say can i vote no you, it's past now i don't even know if the kylie.com forum exists anymore we'll have, we'll have a look in a bit all this to say i met a guy on the forum who was a little bit older than me i think he was called kieran and we got chatting and I invited him to come and see me in this play. No. Yeah. And I wasn't out or anything, but I was like, come on, I'm in this play. Anyway, I didn't, I knew what he looked like because um, he described himself. This was before like camera phones and anything. And I saw this guy in the audience. And I knew he was coming with two friends and I was like, it must be him because I pretty much recognised everybody else. And my big line was something about, and all the thoughts of the sea were in my head. And I looked directly at him and I went... And all the thoughts of the sea were in my bed. It was okay. so embarrassing. It I was mean, so embarrassing. It happens in acting. You ad-lib. 
I think there was like um, something dramatic happened then so I could go backstage and calm myself before my next monologue but I was like oh my couldn't believe it but yeah I mean yeah I mean I did loads of stuff I played a boy who fell down a well Ah, um, that was another school one. Talking about acting chops, I was Creon in Antigone. You know the Greek tragedy. Mm. I think it's like the sequel to Oedipus, <laughs> or maybe the prequel. Oh, I don't know, the, or the reboot. I don't know. The re- <laughs> so my teen years in acting have not been as, you know, prolific. Prolific. Let's let's use the word prolific. <laughs> Basically, we grew up together with this acting group, I suppose, and it went to a point where it was outside of the school, so I wasn't going to that school anymore, and the group moved, you know, and it was not a school group anymore. And we did, I I remember we did a play called Quien Yo, Who Me, (laughs) is from an Argentinian theatre play writer from the 1960s, I, I mean the play is from the 1960s, I think it's 1965. And it's an absurd comedy. I mean, this guy is the guy who wrote an open letter to my future ex-wife. He wrote another play called I Was Also a Sperm. (laughs) It was very, like, silly, absurd humour. And this play is called Kiensho. And basically what happens in the play is that it's a trial. And a trial by jury, which is not a thing in Argentina, and it wasn't a thing in the 60s, so that was just theatrical, you know, prose. So this guy is on trial, this guy called Felipe, Azul de Metileno. He's on trial because he stole a change of like £2.50. And it's like a full-blown full blown trial for that. Very think, Kafkaesque, it sounds. A, a little bit. And sort of the, the prosecutor starts saying that, yes, it sounds ridiculous, but it's about process. It's about, it doesn't matter what the amount is about sort of being a responsible society and so on. The reason why the play is called Kien Shou is because the main character, whenever he's asked a question, the first thing that he says is, who, me? And it's literally like, oh, what's your name? Who, me? Yes, you. Ah, Felipe Azul de Metileno. What's your age? Who, me? Yes, you. It plays on basically the main character. It's just crazy. It doesn't make any sense. But then he starts telling all of these ridiculous stories. So the first story that he tells is about how he was orphaned from grandparents before he was born. Okay. Um, And basically he tells a story about how a couple of Medileno, so a couple of his ancestors, actually were in Noah's Ark. Okay. But they get off. But they get off early because they were really impatient. (laughs) So they get off before uh, the whole thing was over. And that's the thing, the whole play goes through these really stupid stories and goes through his life in a very, very stupid way. And among all of these stories is, for example, how he failed an exam in, uh, in uni and his father was so ashamed that he made his mother commit suicide because he was too busy. And again, at some point, he's like, he wants to commit suicide and he and he's with his girlfriend and he says, well this is poison, I'm going to drink it. And his girlfriend says, oh, no, that's not poison. And he says, oh, yes, it is. Have a go. And she drinks it and drops that. In the play? Yeah. So that's one of the other stories. So all of these stories, basically what it transpires is that this guy, who is on trial for stealing £2.50, actually has been surrounded by murder and by strange accidents and catastrophes 
and has been the cause of it by being so distracted. And it gets to a point that, again, he's so aloof, but it gets into the prosecutor's nerves, and the prosecutor ends up killing him in the middle of the room. And that's how the play ends. So the play ends where the defence attorney, who is a very bad defence attorney, by the way, gives this speech of how, basically, the prosecutor defiled the law and the principles of humanity. And it's kind of like the prosecutor ends up sitting in the chair saying, Who, me? Uh... The thing is, it, it sounds very tragical, but it, again, it's a satirical play. It's a very absurd play. The stories make no sense whatsoever. Again, it's like his grandparents getting off of Noah's Ark because they were impatient. And I played two characters there. Oh, they got the money to worth out of you, didn't they, Bab? Well, the thing is, it's one of these plays that has a lot of characters, so everyone kind of played a couple of characters. Now, I played the judge. Now, the thing with the judge is that it did not have any lines, but it's permanently centre stage. Okay, so if you're permanently centre stage, how did you play another character? Well, and that was one of the things. We had to look at an excuse for the judge to just have enough of it and just walk out so I could play the other character. <laughs> so you added a little bit of extra into the play to yeah. do that. Wow. The role of the judge was quite challenging because although, again, although you, I didn't have any lines, you are there sitting in the middle of the stage facing the audience and you're behind the desk, you're sitting... So it's all face work. Mm. In terms of acting, it's all about your reactions. It's all about what you do with your face. It was quite challenging. And then I went off and I played the university professor that basically starts the whole ball rolling into his mother's death. So I'm taking a test. Well, no, he's taking a test and I'm the professor. And he ends up failing that test. Mm. And I must have been about 16. And was that at school? No, it wasn't at school. We did it at a theatre. We charged an entry fee, so the third count as professional. Uh, yeah. I mean, we kind of went for bits afterwards. It's not we pay. We, we used it for to pay for meal and things like that. We didn't get paid a salary, but I mean, got paid. I would say that's professional, yeah. And to be fair, we were doing the Little Prince, and I left before we put it on stage. Actually. Oh, why? Well, the thing is, by by that time, I was about 19 already, so I was oh, in uni. Oh, you were discovering drugs and girls. I was just busy with uni. Oh. And alcohol and boys. <laughs> Absolutely. So you never got to be in The Little Prince? I never got to be in The Little Prince. Can't even remember who I was going to play in The Little Prince. I mean, I, I assume at that age, not The Little Prince. No, not The Little Prince. I can't remember if it was The Snake... But the snake is quite a central character, and I don't think I was one of the central characters. Or the, the, there's a fox. I think I was the fox. Mm. I can't remember now. Mm. It feels like a lifetime away. Well, it was. It was like more than half your life ago. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> so, I guess for me, the sort of next stage was that I left school, I left sixth form, and I went to university. And if we're talking about, you know, performing and acting and things like that, two things happened then. The first one was that I got work as an extra, or as we in the profession like to say, background artist. Oh, that's full of it. Let's be honest. You used to be a sandwich artist as well. I was. Oh, I've been an artist twice in my career Exactly. Then. So, no. So, you got extra work. I got extra work. Yes, yeah. I was a sandwich artist at Subway. 
make the best sandwiches in the West Midlands, as far as I'm concerned. You always got a little bit of meat with me. <laughs> Let's go with the extra thing. So yeah, so I did some extra work. But I also, at the same time, while I was at university, I got involved with the student radio. And I mean, I had various roles there. I was head of the station at one point, but I was also head of news, I think, in my second year. And that's when I really discovered my love for broadcast journalism and took me into the career that um, you know, I started in my early 20s. The extras work, we were actually at the radio station and we got contacted by a film company who were making a film in Birmingham at the time and they wanted people to be in the background. So I went along, it was just this open call and I signed up and they were like, yeah, come back tomorrow. And it was an awfully depressing film. It was about a refugee who came over to the UK and the system failed her and she ended up on the streets and she died. It was an awful, mm, awful yeah. film. But the part of the film that I was in was when she came to this sort of social security office where they were looking at what funding was available to her and that kind of thing. And all I had to do in this film was type away in the background. You know, tap, 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 tap. So the director shouts, action. And, you know, I'm typing away, you know, <laughs> being an office worker. Never yeah. having worked in an office at that time. But, you know, I was like, oh, it can't be that hard to pretend to work in an office. And I was typing away, typing away. And then the director went, cut! Like that. And I was like, oh, I thought it was quite a good scene. Like, you know, the main cast seemed to be doing the thing. And, you know, obviously I'm typing away. Well, that was the problem. Because I was typing too loud. And the director was like, who is typing so loud in the background? <laughs> Were you just doing like, cluck, 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 yeah, cluck, Yeah, I was cluck. literally pressing like, A, L, A, L, A, L. Because I was like, you know, I want to be seen in this film. I want to be seen to be doing something. But yeah, so my first sort of on-screen appearance was um, was kind of curtailed there. But I did, well, actually, I say it was curtailed. I then, you know, managed to type silently and the film was obviously made. It was part of the process. Absolutely, absolutely. It was how I became the artiste that I am today. I have to say, I do do all my own stunts. I drove a car in Line of Duty. And I diffused a bomb in Life on Mars, which was a, wow. a TV series. Yeah. Basically, at that point, I'd been on holiday and I'd come back. And you know how blonde my hair goes in the sun? Yeah. And the crew were convinced that I'd dyed it. And I was like, no, I haven't dyed my hair. So they put me in this bomb squad disposal outfit okay because it hid my hair and it just so happened that the day i was on set they needed someone in the scene to defuse a bomb so yeah i basically saved the day right at the end of the episode oh, it's amazing well done and that's the thing about extras work i think by this point i kind of was looking at pursuing a career in broadcast journalism i wasn't at this time wasn't thinking that i was going to become rich and famous from this you kind of get more jaded the older that you got so i was just happy to you know be paid fairly well sit on set for a day and you get fed and watered it's brilliant like they're bringing out food all the time and you know you dress up as a bomb squad disposal officer i was a drug dealer in tv soap doctors <laughs> what I, I had to come. I mean, I would believe it if you say that you were a, I don't know, pie dealer. <laughs> a pie dealer? That doesn't exist. No, I had to come out of a, a toilet, like, snorting, like, you know, as if I just had a line and stuff yeah. like that. And then I think I offered a, like, a note to some guy or something like that. So, yeah, it was one of my finest moments. I also played a Swedish football fan in Goal 3. Oh, there's a lot of things wrong with that. If you haven't seen Goal 1 or 2, you're really missing out. But obviously Goal 3 is where it's at. I think it debuted on YouTube. <laughs> I think they just made it free in the end. 
Um, but yeah, I did loads and loads of stuff. But my piece de resistance in my background artiste work... <laughs> Extra. ...was when I played a scientist in... Oh, let me get this right so you can all go and watch it after. was in Series 8, Episode 4 of TV series Hustle, the British version. Okay. And the episode's called Eat Yourself Slender. And actually, basically, it is on... Netflix. So if I feel a bit down sometimes, you I will can go, go and watch yourself on Netflix. Yeah, and it makes me feel great. It reminds me of uh, reminds me of my glory days on the screen. There was a delivery that was being made to the laboratory that I was working in, and I had to basically not look that bothered and sign it mm-hmm. because the main character, who was a bit of totty back in the day, Matt D'Angelo, he used to be in EastEnders, a TV soap, and then he went into Hustle, and everybody, you know swooned over him so he came in and he was kind of like doing a recce to see whether they could swindle this place or whatever it was all a bit they weren't kind of like spies but they were like cuddles yeah 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 but they were like the de-hustlers if you know what i mean if that makes sense okay Uh, to be fair i've only ever seen the episode that i'm in so i don't really know a lot about the show is that the one where you eat pizza yeah and because i had to look bored i was more interested in eating the pizza than signing for this document this fake document that this character brought in but of course we had to do it 12 times and and you ate the 12 slices of pizza absolutely it was five o'clock in the morning i'm not wasting good pizza but the makeup artist came over and she was like well you know we need to make it look like you look really messy we need to put like fake tomato ketchup around your face and it kept falling off it kept falling off and i said well why don't you just put tomato ketchup on my face if that's what you're trying to go for and she was like do you think we could do that and you just think well yeah i mean you can just imagine the divas that they must get yeah and then every time they offered me a piece of pizza they were like oh you can spit it out in the bin afterwards and i'm like i'm not going to be like throwing up in front of a room full of people that i don't know and actually this is really good pizza (laughs) i was a student i am not wasting this so yeah, uh, life. that's my, my, the, the only other sort of brush with fame that is of note is after university, I went traveling with my best friend mm-hmm. and we ended up in Los Angeles and we were doing the Hollywood Walk of Fame and it rained and I slipped on Fleetwood Mac and I landed on Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, that's not fame though, is it? Well... I don't know. It depends the way that you look at it. To be fair, I think that your short at fame actually came on your side career. My side career? Well, or the one that became your career at the time, which is broadcasting. Do you reckon? Yeah. I mean, everyone could listen to you on the radio, couldn't they? Yeah, I used to read the news. I read the news on five or six radio stations. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did BBC. I did lots of commercial radio stations, but I ended up working for a group of radio stations in the Midlands of the UK, which doesn't exist anymore. But yeah, it was Touch FM, and I also used to do the news on Rugby FM. So again, you know, when we talk about living in Warwickshire and stuff, it's kind of it very all local. goes full circle. I think. I mean, I think I've still got some bulletins if if you want to hear one. Yeah, let's hear two. Let's hear at least one because, to be honest, your radio voice makes me giggle. Okay, right. This is this is going to be cringe. You ready? This is Rugby FM news. I'm Ben Goodwin. Unemployment figures out shortly are expected to show Britain's jobless total has surged past 2 million. That'll be the highest since Labour came to power in 1997. Analysts now predict it'll go over 3 million within a year. IT contractor Michael Blanks was made unemployed last month. He's already applied for 43 jobs but says there's nothing out there. I had maybe 
eight actual responses from humans to say we've received your CV. The rest of them are just auto responses from the job sites. It doesn't make you feel very wanted. Ecstasy should no longer be classified alongside crack and heroin. <laughs> crack. The recommendation for it to be downgraded to Class B is expected later from experts appointed by the government, but ministers are almost certain to reject it. And the Home Secretary is angry with the Advisory Council's chairman for saying horse riding kills more people each year. For someone who's talking about horse riding, you sound like a cheap car salesman. Well, that was my radio voice. Yeah, your radio voice is really funny. Your radio voice is funny. That's how we were taught to speak when I did my training. Well, I suppose so. So what I get then is that it was kind of like a conscious decision for you to go from acting into broadcasting. I guess I thought that broadcast journalism was where I wanted to be. And for a few years it was. I loved it. I had an amazing career. I met some amazing people and did some crazy things. I ended up... You know, flying around the world in the back of somebody's house in Coventry because they were doing it on a computer. I met the second ugliest person in Britain. The second. They actually had a business card with it on. I've got it somewhere. But journalism, particularly broadcast journalism, is so cutthroat. And I think I thought I was going to be the next big thing. And I realised very quickly that I would have to literally shed blood, sweat and tears for it. And I think by that point, I just wanted to get a mortgage. I wanted to be happy. And, well, actually, the decision was made for me because I was made redundant. Um, The radio station no longer exists anymore. And I ended up falling into what I do now, really. And I'm really happy with what I do now and all that kind of stuff. And there's a part of me that will always wish that I will have continued it. And maybe it's something that I can get into again as I get older and I've got more time. But... I look back on that time very fondly and, you know, if I get the opportunity to perform now in my personal life, I will. Well, we have a podcast, don't we? Oh, yeah, we do. Oh, that's really interesting, actually. I suppose we are kind of flexing those muscles in that way and getting our juices flowing across audio. Hmm, that's really interesting. What about you? Why did you decide not to pursue? Well, the thing for me is that I don't think I actually decided it. And this is the time, this is the moment where the mood of the podcast go completely the, the other way, I suppose. So I really wanted to pursue it. And one of my biggest supporters was my godfather. And basically what he said, he lived in Buenos Aires. So he said, if you want to actually pursue a career in acting, then I'll put a roof over your head. You can live with me. You won't need to work. I'll put food on your plate. But the condition is, you have to go to uni. You have to study acting and go and get a sort of an acting degree. I won't have it with you just coming to Buenos Aires and just freelancing it, if you like, in that respect, without training, without anything. You need to come when you finish high school and train for it. But then when I was 14, my godfather passed away. Mm. And... I don't know, I think that my desire to act as a career kind of died with him. To the point that when I was looking what career to study, when I was finishing secondary school, it was never an option. I never looked into it. So I think that it kind of died with him in that respect, which was probably one of the most traumatic sort of periods of my life I think that at that time I was 14 and I remember 
that my godfather has had 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 cancer before and the cancer had returned and he needed surgery and before he went into surgery he called my dad and my mom saying that he wanted to see me and this was in march and school has just started back in argentina and i had a test the following day i can't remember if it was history or civic education or something like that and what I can gather from that time is that I didn't really understand death and I really didn't understand life and death situations. So in my mind was, well, I'll do the test and then the next day I'll go visit him after his surgery. I never thought that there was a risk to his life. And to be fair, my grandfather had died before I was born. So as far as I was concerned, he was sort of always there in spirit so I had never experienced death before Mm. of a relative so for me it was just a surgery doctors know what they're doing so it's in and out and I'll see it the following day and basically he went out of surgery but very shortly after there were complications and he ended up passing away and you know me you know how I always say that I live my life without regret because I always say that what I did at that time, I felt it was the right thing. And I used the best of my abilities to do what I felt was right. Not going and seeing my godfather, that's the only regret I have in my life. I accept it, I acknowledge it. It's a regret that I will always have. And I can say, fortunately, I'm very fortunate in, in, in that I can say that that's my only regret. I regret that I couldn't say goodbye because... Not because I couldn't, but because I chose not to. Because I didn't know that he wanted to see me to say goodbye. You know? So, and that's an event that completely marked my life in so many ways. I've kind of learned so much about it and I've kind of suffered so much about it. And again, I was 14, so we're talking about 26 years ago. And it's something that it still hurts a lot. And to be fair, and I think as well, going with the topic of of today's episode, it marked my life to the point that it steered my professional career. In this case, it kind of steered it away from something that I thought it was what I wanted to do. Mm. So, again, I don't think it was a, a conscious decision to not pursue acting. I think it's just how life turned out being. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, he's listening down on the podcast today and he's really proud of everything that you've done and what you've gone to achieve. And, you know, the fact that you're still pursuing your passions, whether that be professionally or, you know, in your hobbies and and indeed through this podcast. So I don't know what to say, really. Thank you for sharing that story. And I'm sure he appreciates that you've shared that story. But I think I I feel that it's something that I always struggle with sharing. I think that I am very ashamed of that as a regret. But I think at that age, like you say, the concept of life and death is so... It's not as black and white as it is when you get older. And, you know, you didn't experience a loved one passing away till that point. And that experience alone, you know, losing your godfather and the way that you felt you could have dealt with it differently has shaped the way that you are now. 
So it's made you a better person. It's made you a stronger person. It's made you, you know, someone who always strives to do things better. So never think of it as a regret. Think of it as something that you've then turned into something positive. And I'm no, obviously I never met your good father, but he would have been proud of you for that. Well, I suppose that, again, there's not really a choice of not seeing as a regret. I do, but I love him. I still love him. He's been a great influence in my life, even when he was no longer here. So, I love you. Not going to lie, <laughs> that episode didn't quite go where I thought it was going to go today. To be fair, me neither. But, take a deep breath. Are you okay? Yeah, 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 I'm okay, I'm okay. Yeah. Again, thank you for sharing that with us. I know, obviously, we've spoken about your godfather before, but, you know, to share something like that that's quite raw, I think is quite brave, so... I think that even 26 years later, it's still a very emotional thing for me to talk about. But, well, acting. We all did a little bit. We shared our stories. It's time for you guys to share yours. Yeah, have you guys treaded the boards at any point in your lives if so let us know we want to hear all your stories of stage and screen we are at bareback pod on twitter on instagram we are at bareback podcast you know we're on facebook just search for us bareback or you can send us an email at barebackpodcast at gmail.com absolutely but i do think it's that kind of thing where I think the passion for performing never goes away. Obviously, you're right. And I never really thought of it like that. We're doing this podcast now and it is a creative outlet for us. And the fact that other people want to come along and listen to that and be part of it is absolutely fantastic. Which reminds me, if you do want to leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, please feel free to do so. And on Spotify too. (laughs) Just get that in. But I think it's something that, you know, we should really consider about, you know, do we want to pick this up again? Because, you know... We live in Warwickshire. They've got some of the best amateur theatres in the country, in the county. So it's not that much of a stretch that we could have a have another shot at the stage. Hmm? Who knows? It's, maybe it's time to break a leg. <laughs> break a leg. Is that a thing? Do you say <laughs> yeah, that in yeah, English? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But hopefully not figuratively. But um, So who knows, guys? I you mean, might be able to come and see Bareback live on ooh, the stage. Live on stage. Can you imagine? And yeah, I know. That would be... A small stage. <laughs> it would be a very small stage, but watch this space. Stranger things have happened. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you same time next week. We will. Th- come on, act, darling. Oh, okay, act, okay. act. Thespian face. Okay, thespian. Deep breath and scene. Right, guys, we'll see you same time. Same place. Next week. Wow. Wow. Bye. Bye. In Touch Weather with Budget Skips, keeping rugby and Warwickshire green. Well, staying cloudy at the minute, but a sunny afternoon's in store. Highs of three, but strong gusts at times. A clear evening and night. Temperatures dipping down to minus three. Tomorrow, more suns on the cards.